So we are talking about today the National Assessment of Educational Progress, and uh, this is a report card on the nation and their um, and how we're doing on uh, reading and math. This, this assessment's been going on for about 50 years. They've been gathering data on how the nation's doing and making progress and uh, improving our education. And the the program basically samples about 24,000 students in fourth and eighth grade, and they're now starting to add about um, to add the 12th grade. And they take reading and math, they give the kids reading and math tests on a tablet, and the results come out sort of like a growth score. The highest score is 500, and um, it does include students with disabilities, and it's published about every two years. But it was late to publish in 2021. The 2021 report is published every two years, and it was published in 2019. Um, but uh, when it when it came to 2021, of course, it was COVID, so it was delayed and got published in looks like October 23rd, 2022. Um, and they do also. Differentiate um, the big cities from the smaller ones and report more on focus on a lot of the bigger cities. And Houston and Dallas are included in those bigger cities. So some of the things we learned from this report, uh, if you were a lower performing student before COVID, the more you decline, you declined more as a result of, of COVID. So um, only the children who are in the 90th percentile did not decline. Children in the lowest percentile had the greatest decline. And children in the, so for example, children in the 10th percentile dropped six points since 2019. So that really makes us feel like, uh, you know, if you're getting a lot of referrals, that might be why if you were struggling before COVID, better believe you're struggling now. And maybe you were just a kind of mid bubble kid, um, needed a little push along before. Now you're getting the big time interventions because you've, you're dropping even lower. So another thing they looked at was that minority populations took the greatest hits. While white kids fell about three points in the fourth grade, black kids fell more like five points. And we were making some of the greatest gains with the more uh, disadvantaged populations, minority populations. We were closing the gap and making the biggest gains, but those kids were also the hardest hit uh, during COVID, taking the greatest losses. So, um, and this is why going back, it's so important to look at this as a social justice concern because kids who, they found that kids who don't read proficiently at fourth grade are also not likely to pass state college entrance exams, pass uh, high school um, exit exams and that sort of thing. And then they can't, those kids who don't pass these exams are not getting into good colleges and having good careers. So it's, we really have to start early and make sure that kids are reading proficiently in as early as fourth grade to make sure they're on the right track to be able to have those opportunities for developing really good careers that pay well. So the National Assessment of Educational Progress, this report also um, does take all the children and look at their reading and report on how many of them were not proficient. So um, in, while in 2019, 37 were below basic, now, it's COVID, 34% are below basic in reading. In Texas, we're doing a little bit 
better. We are about two points behind the nation in 2019. And now, whereas many um, states are about three points behind, whereas before we were three points behind the nation, now we're two points behind the nation for fourth grade. So we're closing our gap a little bit better, but we still always are behind the nation. Um, no jurisdictions went up. 30 went down, 22 saw no change. Now, when I say these major um, jurisdictions, we are talking about those big jurisdictions like Houston and Dallas. And one of the things I looked at was just the girls' um, population and how they did, how it maybe impacted them in math, for example. Um, in math, girls took the, made the less, least gains and took the biggest hit um, over boys for fourth grade math. So I found that to be interesting, something to watch. Several articles are talking about the historic declines in math and reading. Nearly two decades of progress in student learning has been lost during COVID. So the interesting thing to me, too, is that we've only grown like three points during the whole, um, during the whole last 20 years in reading. And now we lost those three points just in COVID. That's all it took was to go back 20 years with just the decline in COVID because of COVID. So that is really worrisome to me. If you want to know um, where we were in fourth grade, in fourth grade math, Texas students performed better. The number is 239 than the national average, which was 235. But they and exceptionally well when compared with their peers with African-American, Hispanic, white, economically disadvantaged students. We were ranking in the first, fourth, second, and sixth in the U.S. So um, African-American students also ranked first in math in eighth grade improvements in Texas. Um, rank in the reading for its students was also notable. In particular, the performance of students with disabilities did improve from 34th to 17th in the fourth grade and from 48th to 14th in the eighth grade and eighth grade reading. So we're doing really good in Texas, making a lot of progress. Um, it's just we're still behind the nation. So um, that's, that's something to just pay attention to. So I just... Um, Interesting facts, you know, I was looking for all kinds of interesting facts about the NAEP. Um, one interesting fact is that Hawaii actually did pretty well. Um, they had the least loss during COVID, and they do have the greatest need, for, one of the greatest needs for school psychologists. I don't know if they hired diagnosticians, but, um, you know, maybe that's something you might want to consider moving to Hawaii. I don't know. I just thought I'd find something. Um, sort of like to end that with, but I just want to open a discussion about this. I mean, the thing that ma this makes me think of two things, first of all, is one, like how valid are our norms anymore? Because, uh, you know, if the nation is dropping, that means our norms are dropping. So what we're comparing kids to is not really what it actually is. And I worry that we might be creating a whole society of kids that are, you know, we're calling disabled, but aren't rea in reality a lot like their peers in many ways. Um, and I, I wonder if maybe some of the norms from the NAEP or some of the results from the NAEP report could be used um, to create some norms. I don't know if that's something that's been considered, uh, but, you know, I think the formal um, assessments out there uh, 
uh, form are you know those test the testing companies Riverside and Pearson and such maybe could use some of this data to help create new norms for us. I don't know. Um, it's not like we have access to this assessment and can give it. So um, I, I don't know. I'm just kind of curious if there's anything, any information we could use from this to, to create norms to sort of have a, a measuring stick here. The other thing it makes me think of is, wow, all the more reason to beat that RTI drum. This is the time. And CBMs, 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 if we're doing assessments and we're not sure about the norms for on, on our formal assessments and if they match what's going on in, in actual life, yes, the same thing will happen with the norms that we have for our CBMs. But, you know, because the CBMs are given in so many schools, we can collect norms so quickly so much quick, more quickly. So there are many school districts that use CBMs across their whole school district. Uh, and, you know, those norms can be used to create local norms, whether it be for the district to compare to districts or to compare to schools within a district or to compare to classrooms within a school uh, and to really target the areas where kids are performing low in. And if, if we've got those CBMs and we use CBMs, who knows? You might say, well, your district doesn't use CBMs a lot, but you don't know. Your kid might not always be in your district. You Your kid might go on to another district where they do use CBMs and they might be able to use your CBM data that's in your report to help them to determine if a child has a learning disability. I just think this is the time we got to take advantage of using CBMs and beating that RTI drum, because how will we know if it's COVID or, or is this child just struggling because a lot of kids are struggling or is this child really struggling much more than that? So yeah, I just was curious. I apologize in the beginning. I did not realize I had my, my mic muted. So um, or I don't know if it got muted partway through, I apologize if I repeated myself, but I did do this twice just now. <laughs> All right. Hey, Candace, you unmute your mic. There we go. There we go. Yeah. yeah. Hey, I'm not I the only one. <laughs> I was messaging you just letting you know, I think your mic is on mute. <laughs> oh, I don't know. Um, how. Oh, and you know, I turned all my, my, my text, my uh, texts were popping up on my computer and making a lot of noise. So I had silenced them. <laughs> so that oh, didn't funny. help. <laughs> you could even get, yeah. No, yeah. I didn't hear the part with the game with Texas. How, what was the, um, I, I missed that part. Where, where do we stand? I think we, we, I know math, you said increase. We actually. Well, we're doing so pretty good. And it sounds like we're doing pretty well in closing the gap for the, for the disadvantaged um, populations. But mm -hmm. when you look at our performance overall on the whole scope of things um, for the whole, you know, uh, whole Texas compared to whole United States, we are behind as a state. So we're like two points behind as a state right now, but we were three points behind. So COVID actually helped us close the gap because we didn't, um, we weren't as impacted by COVID as some other places. And I think really a lot of that is probably due to the fact that Texas opened up or tried to open up pretty quickly. States like California 
man, they were on virtual learning for a really long time. And they actually had to have the federal government step up and step in and force them to reopen. So yeah, that, you know, they had, and then even when they first closed, they didn't even do a lot of state, a lot of districts in California didn't even do virtual learning. They just sent like packets home and told kids to do these packets of paper with their, with their parents. So, um, I think Texas got on board on the virtual learning right away. We were on it with the virtual learning and we opened up back, we, op- we back, opened back up pretty quickly. So that is, that is a good sign. I'm, it is positive to hear that kids with disabilities are closing the gap. It's positive to hear that um, kids with, who are disadvantaged are closing the gap. It's just, it's just disheartening to hear that we've only made three points as a nation as a whole nation and growth in reading. And then we lost all of that growth in the last three years during COVID. Probably comes down to instruction. I'm probably just lacking in that area. And I know COVID as well didn't help, but honestly, it's, it's probably instruction based. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, if the, if we can, it's good that we didn't, that we handled COVID pretty well. A lot of us, you know, we have, we have a state law that, for example, California got in trouble for not having state law of um, offering compensatory services for kids in special education. But, you know, our state passed that law on our own without being forced to do it. So that that's good. And maybe some of the corrective action with the child fine that we've been experiencing has been helping our special ed population. Um, and that, that might be at least a little bit of reassurance that, um, that, you know, all the hard work we're doing is paying off. Right. Not in reading. <laughs> well, like I said, that's a whole, the whole nation. That's as a, true. It's not just Texas. So, uh, but yes, I know you sent me these um, podcasts I was going to tell everybody about. I'm just so excited that the American media press has come back to life. They had published the hard to read articles and, you know, and podcast, and they made this into podcasts. And I was, you know, I had listened to all of them. And then I researched about the news organization and apparently they had some change in administration, lack of some problem with funding, and they shut down the whole program. And so I was excited to see that they're, they're up and running again. And back on. People, what I sent you. (laughs) Really? Yes, absolutely. Um, Get it up here. So it's on. She sent me on Spotify, but I think you could get it anywhere. Um, It's called The Superstar Sold a Story. The series is called Sold a Story. Yeah, look look that up. That's and then actually all six episodes um, correlate to how um, a lot of these big industries with you know the Lucy Calkins and Reading Recovery, Fontes and Pinnell, um, those type of um, reading programs have made multi-million dollars worth of revenues, but then neither none none of them have been proven to be effective with with reading. Um, and it was just, just, just jaw dropping, just jaw dropping about, cause we, you know, majority of schools I know use those and I'm guilty and was also, you know, sold to, you know, Fontes and Pinnell and do a level book reading system. And, um, yeah, it was really a jaw, a jaw dropping, uh, podcast series. I couldn't stop listening to it. I was working all day trying to do reports, but I just, I didn't listen to it. And it was just, I had to stop and just like rewind it and go, you're kidding me. <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, 
if anything, like this is, I think if we did CBMs and, and the thing is like, we talk about science of reading, science of reading, science of reading, but do you, does everybody not understand that there is a science of assessment too? And it, it has to be correlated with the science of reading, like science of assessment is our curriculum based measures. And if we're not doing them, we won't, we're, we get into Mm -hmm. these situations like this and we can't ever compare ourselves you know, we won't have any comparisons. We can't just depend on published norms. We have to have local norms. We have to have our district norms, state norms, all of that to in order to see where the breakdown is and be able to target our resources. So mm-hmm. yeah, and we have to be able to do it with the least amount of, we have to be at the best bang for our, our labor. You know, we got to be able to get the mo- best information with the least amount of effort and that's what you know curriculum based measures really do so i really think uh, i pinned the nation's report card up there i mean you can just research for hours so many different statistics oh yeah they're very i, I mean, or with them they're really really um data driven holy cow there's right right very interesting looking up all kinds of data per state per population anything um different subjects. Uh, there was all kinds of, uh, it wasn't just reading a math book, they collect data on it was like science and um, all kinds of so- subjects that we yeah. teach here. I'm glad somebody's yeah. out there doing that so we can figure out where we're going as a society. We're going down the tubes. Right. <laughs> right. Well, and you know, I think the biggest thing that they're trying to focus on is how do we prove that we're offering equal opportunity and not creating um, a a, a society again that's you know doesn't allow people with disadvantaged you know maybe the poor populations or or African American populations or what have you that that they you know to to actually show that we are making good progress and and trying to achieve um, better more equal opportunities for people. Yeah, I I do believe the the curriculum based measurements is a great way to um, measure that just hard to get everybody on board to to do so and I, I do use them I still I still really do, do like to do my own um, achievement testing and um, roll off some other other you know informal data that maybe my district might use but um, I do pull out some curriculum based measurements just so I have at least in my impact statement some sort of data for um, that can drive that, that student's path, you know, that's what I use mm-hmm. it for. I did update my hyperlinked presentation. I put in some, uh, voice, some of my voice recording in each screen. So you can hear me do the presentation as you go through it. And then you can also, um, I added the higher grades for those of you who are middle school and high school, uh, well, I mean, most of them go to eighth grade. The only reason why is curriculum-based measures are meant to only assess basic skills, not necessarily application of it. So, um, but it, it does go up to eighth grade now. I have it, I have the the dibbles on there. I've been really practicing giving the dibbles. It is just an amazing piece of information. And I like all that it has a measurement system of what to u- utilize as like what what's considered, you know, in the um, what the ranges should be in because I, I can't find that with the easy CBM. I can't find what that student should be performing at for their grade level, you know. Mm-hmm. 
but the Dibbles does. It has like a measurement um, tool at the in one of the resources saying that's adequate for this child to be reading this many words per minute or this this many um, um, this many letters to um, identify they need to be able to, to do it within this time frame, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and why I just usually, usually do too with some of these is look at the 50th percentile and if it's a fluency item, which a lot of these things are, you look at the 50th percentile, try to get as close to that and then um, make sure that they're improving in accuracy too. So 90, 95% accuracy. Um, right. And the right. thing, I mean, a lot, curriculum based measures took a back seat uh, for a, and, a, and, and after they were first, after they first kind of came out because they didn't have all the technical adequacy built into their norms. And now, though, like Dibbles, for example, is on its eighth version and it has really good reviews on its ability to um, just identify kids. Uh, to, to screen kids for for dyslexia and um, to to um, mark pro to keep progress or, or determine predict how kids are going to do in the future so it has really good predicted ability and then they've also taken each of the um, benchmarks and progress monitoring um, probes and done such technical adequacy to make sure that each one is exactly the same in difficulty. So you could give any of them interchangeably. I mean, imagine if we had a KTEA with uh, 20 different versions of the KTEA, like a form A, form B, form C, form D, form E, you know, all mm -hmm. like that many forms and it'd be free. And, and it's each form is exactly, you know, the same as hard as each other. So not only could you give it to, mark where they whether or not they should qualify i mean to help give it with the by alone of course it wouldn't it wouldn't help with identification but with other data to support your formal um, assessments imagine not only you would have that as your baseline but then your teacher could use the exact same measure that you gave in your fie to mark progress in their iep goals wow you know i don't know i'm just like why don't people why don't people see the beauty at CBMs? Why? <laughs> <laughs> because it's just something that we, ha it, it will take years for it to finally come to um, tuition. You know what I mean? Same thing with the reading, you know, people are still hooked on these whole language balanced literacy approaches when technically they just need to get rid of sitting down doing guided reading and have to do you know, more explicit direct instruction with phonological awareness, decoding skills. I mean, no, I don't see, I haven't met one school district yet that has just decided Lucy Calkins or Fontes and Pinnell. I mean, they're, they're still dabbling into that stuff. So it just takes a long time for anything to happen. To well, I mean, universities don't teach it. Why do I know about, why am I so crazy about curriculum-based measures? Well, because they taught it to us in my university. And I went out into the school district and I was like, okay, ready to do curriculum based measures like I was taught in the university and nobody knew what I was talking about. So um, you have to, they have to teach it in the universities and they have to have it on the state exam, where, you know, the certification exam. If it's not on the certification exam, why is anybody going to know it? We're not. Yeah. So it's going to have to start there. Everything else 
Nothing makes sense anymore, right, Nazi? <laughs> but we can do our part. That's what I'm saying. As diagnosticians, yeah, yeah. we can do our part. We can assume that the whole world is doing what research says and be part of what the research says and what is the science of assessment and just, you know, mm-hmm. expect, just have high expectations that this will happen one day. And you know what? I think it is because I'm getting more and more transfers from places in Texas that have curriculum-based measures in their reports. So that's a cool thing. Yeah, it's a step. You're right. Yeah. I've heard, I heard, I know like, for example, um, I want to say there's some, either Frisco, um, I saw one in Dallas ISD. I saw one, I know that in um, Grapevine Colleyville, they use Ames webs there. A lot of places even didn't use as maps, um, which is, but they only use it for middle school, which doesn't make any sense because really curriculum-based assessments should be primarily used in the younger grades so that you could get those basic skills um, going or catch kids with the basic skills. But it is used in, in middle school, I do remember. Um, so we're, we're slowly starting to pick them up here and there. I'm hopeful. Did anyone else have some comments? I got some comments here. Uh, Ed said, sorry, he couldn't stay on. He's traveling where the internet is spotty. Um, oh, there I see, Candace. You're trying to message me. <laughs> all right. Thank you all for trying to let me know that I was muted. I finally, I was so concentrated on presenting and reading my notes and everything that I just didn't look at the chat. <laughs> all right. Well, you know what? We should all listen to the Spotify and um, bring our takeaways and share that one day. Your clubhouse. I think everybody needs to just log in to uh, sold a story and you will be just, it's mind blowing. It's a game changer. I knew it from the get go, but just hearing the research behind it and how this indus- industry with, with Fontes and Pinnell, Lucy Calkins, um, there's a couple others out there, Reading Recovery are just making money because they're making money and they know the research indicates it does not work. These kids are not learning to read or decode books. And it's just mind blowing that this, these publishing companies have published their, their stuff for so long when, when the research says it doesn't work and it's just, it's just, the, guys, they're good marketing, good at marketing. I mean, they market, you oh can yeah. market anything. Yeah. Yeah. They're really and good at marketing. And, and, you know, they say marketing works well when there's a need. You know, if you need something, then it's easy to sell something to somebody. We, people, are, teachers are like, we need, we need, you know, kids to do better in reading. And principals are like, we need people to do better in reading. And then what do they get? This marketing. And they just are drawn to it. They're not looking at the research. And who does the least marketing? I mean, the researchers. These researchers are academics. They want to develop their research, publish research. They're not marketing programs most of the time. So, you know, that's what I was trying to hope accomplish with the clubhouse a little bit too, is, hey, we can market, at least among ourselves, the research to each other and know know what's out there. We've got to disseminate some of that somehow. At least I'm not that person that brought this curriculum to where it's at now and how popular it is, which it's going to take a while for it to be brought back, you know, brought brought out and brought down. But I think they're the ones that have to sit and know that they have disrupted everyone's ability to learn to read efficiently and properly. And 
so many kids out there have been through this process of Pontus and Pinnell and guided reading and reading recovery and have made very limited progress and have had to struggle just to learn to read and all because of these people that have made millions of dollars. Right. That's really it's sad. And it, you know, I was listening to that one of you know the podcast you sent me, and it's like she's like, lesson one is you. These are pictures of avid readers. Go out and be avid readers. I don't need to make avid readers because I can look out there and see that you are all avid readers. So, like, if I say you can read, you can read. <laughs> That's how. And if I give you a nice work. cozy really? nook, go cuddle up with a book and and show you how inspirational and how we all can be motivated to read if we just get in our little nooks and read in a corner and oh i was just dying laughing people have been (laughs) and i'm guilty though nazi i sat and did guided reading books from from whipped until you know they could read at least on an m or n and i was like all right we were successful and then meanwhile the kid is just still struggling to decode words because I didn't teach decoding because I wasn't taught to do that way. I wasn't right. And what, and the way. whole argument, like, why would people be so drawn to this kind of program? Well, the whole argument is it just feels right when you teach it. it in other words, it's easier to teach, uh, you know, be, and, and it's like, we don't want to make kids suffer through phonics because then they have to sound things out and work so hard. But you know what? You might not be suffering that much because they're not, I mean, you do need to suffer a little bit to learn, but you're going to end up suffering way more in the future when you, you get at the point where you need to be reading to learn and you still can't read very well. So yeah, it's frustrating. Yeah. 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 I wanted to tell you a funny story. Now I'm just thinking about it. I was listening to a podcast and and this is why another reason why I just like CBMs because kind of just illustrates why I like CBMs, but um, I mean, I could probably find so many stories, but this one was funny. Um, I was listening to a podcast about how um, Bugs Bunny saved his creator's life. Have you heard this story? Mm-mm, mm-mm. So Bugs Bunny, the guy, I forget his name, the, the, the guy, the actor, he actually won like some kind of award of being like the, the most, the one in the last thousand years, he was like the best, deemed the best actor in in a in a millennium and that's because the guy who does the voice for bugs bunny he actually is the voice for yosemite sam and um tweety bird and you know um barney rubble and just so many pretty much all of our childhood Mm -hmm. we were listening to this guy (laughs) wow Um, and he had so many jobs reading so many scripts that he would go to studio to studio to studio to studio to studio and he was working 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 going to so many studios all the time working overtime that when everybody anybody said you know turn on bugs bunny he could just turn on that voice and be that character and read and you know do that script and memorize his lines and you know just spit it out and then um you know, he he'd go to another studio, do the same thing with a do- different character. So he mm-hmm. he practiced so much that he became automatic, and uh, it w- it just became second nature for him. And then one day he got this really bad car accident, and he was in a coma. And they thought like he's not going to come out of it. And everybody was so sad because he was so popular. You know, wherever he had gone, everybody was always like, "Oh, it's Bugs Bunny," you know. Mm-hmm. 
And um, so they kept they kept trying to get him out to come out of this coma, come out of this coma. Finally, the doctor actually went up to him and say, how are you doing, Bugs Bunny? And um, and he actually responded, uh, what's up, Doc? <laughs> in true Bugs Bunny voice and he came out of the coma so then they were like they started to talk to him as Tweety Bird and he responded as Tweety Bird and they started to talk to him as Yosemite Sam and he responded as Yosemite Sam and they asked all these neurologists like why was it that when they went to him as as Bugs Bunny or Tweety Bird that he would respond but he wouldn't respond all the times they actually used his name and the Mm -hmm. neurologist said that when you practice something so much, it goes into your automatic part of your brain so that when you, when you go to learn more difficult things, those automatic things are already there at the, in the lower parts of your brain. And that made me think of these like three, four step word problems where kids are not calculating automatically. So they figure out what they need to find in the problem, what they need to calculate. They start calculating and they start using their fingers where they should be automatic. And then they need to go to the next part of the problem where they lose track where they, of where they are. They need so much more executive functioning skills because so much is not automatic. So many of these basic skills are not automatic. And then at the end, they lose track of what the answer is or they finish too soon or what have you because... They just don't have automaticity of these basic skills. And how would we know that they don't have automaticity of basic skills if we don't measure them? So that's, uh, yeah, the Bugs Bunny story. (laughs) (laughs) You are the CBM nerd. (laughs) For sure. (laughs) Love CBMs. Everybody do CBMs, please. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you today, Nazi. Appreciate your your knowledge. Oh, thanks for joining. I always love, you know, a good conversation with Candace. (laughs) (laughs) Feeds the soul. (laughs) All right, everybody. Um, Next Friday, I'm not going to have a a, um, clubhouse. I've got a bunch of family coming in from out of town. You all can go ahead and start your winter break early. So there you go. All right. Yeah. Hope y'all have really good plans. I'm really excited about this, this break. Yeah. I'm excited for you. All right, everyone. (laughs) Thanks. All right. So we'll see you after. Um, I don't know if I have, I don't think I have one on the sixth plan yet. I might do something then, but I definitely have a big one on the 13th. I do need your help, everyone. Um, You know, if you could read, please read um jack fletcher's book learning disability second edition uh, especially chapter six subtypes of dyslexia with dr fletcher on the 13th is gonna be a big deal please get the word out uh and and if you guys shoot me questions or help me because i don't know this guy's vocabulary is super high and i'm trying to he's he's comparing the brain to like a electric generator so like i'm looking up generators and how they work in order to understand his model of reading but you know if that's what i have to do that's what i have to do (laughs) so yeah please get the book it's called learning disabilities from identification to intervention by jack fletcher uh uh, g reed lyon lynn fuchs and marcia barnes really really good interesting book all based on everything's research based in there it's good summary of research all right Thanks all for joining. Check out the nation's report on the report card on the link. Talk to you later.